Today's episode is brought to you by Arrowhead Coffee. Canadian veteran-owned Arrowhead Coffee. Coffee that inspires and supports veterans, first responders, and their families. To order your delicious Arrowhead Coffee, visit arrowhead.coffee. Now that's not arrowhead.com or arrowhead.ca, it's arrowhead.coffee on the Googleizer. And save 10% with discount code OPTR10. That's Oscar, Papa, Tango, Romeo, 10. And get yours today. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we are live with Paul Glennie. Paul, thank you so much for being on Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. It's good to have you back, brother. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. You betcha. We have had a lot of changes since the last time you've been on the show. The world is upside down and sideways, and nobody knows what the heck is going on. Policing has always been a tough, thankless job, like always. And uh, there's been unfortunate nicknames for police officers that are uh, not often earned. <laughs> and, um, but it's never been like now. Uh, it's been extra, extra tough. With the world of BLM and TIFA and COVID-19 enforcement, how are the troops doing? Well, Mark, I think that's a big question. Um... It's a tough go, I think, in general, uh, given the given the climate. I think with with COVID as well, um, things are able to percolate uh, because COVID is all that's all pretty well on the news and stuff. And I think in general, uh, members are trying to do the best they honestly can um, and traverse areas that have. Uh, long-standing sort of uh, long-standing histories and 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 just it's a collision of 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 beliefs in a lot of ways I think especially for things like BLM and and Tifa I don't know a heck of a lot about but um, it is is definitely it definitely challenging definitely challenging how's the morale that's tough um i think i I think it's tougher because no one ever goes into policing looking for accolades in the first place and um you're often uh reviewed for what you didn't do or what you said wrong so if you're under a microscope in a lot of ways and, and a lot of the expectation is, is of perfection and that's a hard place to operate from in general. And I think morale is, it's a hard go because I know a lot of members that are doing the best that they can, but 
you're kind of under this this new paradigm of of everything instant, everything access, and and, and everything is analyzed up close and, and and personal. So you know you're you're kind of scrutinized for what you do and don't do. So that takes a toll on anybody. There's a stress in that because it's it's policing is hard enough on on its own, just on its own merits. Um, never mind um, the world viewing what is going on. In the military, we have something called rules of engagement. Is that a term that's also used with the, the Mounties? Not that, no. No, it wouldn't be rules of engagement kind of thing. Well, there's um, where I'm going with that is I wonder how the police version of rules of engagement has to have things changed um, with uh, BLM and Antifa. Uh, are there new policies and procedures for how to engage with these groups? Well, I think um, there's a lot of maneuvering in that. So I think this is just sort of my, my opinion on it. And you look at the different groups and whether someone uh, objectively agrees with them or not, and that, that's whatever. I, I think the onus is on, on the police to adapt. That doesn't mean um, that the police uh, let things go or, or push too hard, but it's our responsibility to adapt. And part of that is, is understanding a reference point. It doesn't mean someone has to agree with it. So I think some of the, the policies that um, could be done um, are more in that area and, and meeting, uh, meeting that need kind of thing. And that's a tough way to, because it's a tough business when you're always going to be in collision, right? You're in no matter, no matter what, I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. This is our stance. And it just kind of crystallizes, I think over time. And I think, the ideals and, and beliefs of of uh, of uh, one of the one of those groups like BLM or Antifa, I think they're standing firm on, on what they believe in, and that's that's the right to do so. And I think, like I said in the beginning, I think it's our responsibility to analyze that and adapt to that because that's what we do. Like if I go to a call, I will get a pop up on my screen or something over the radio saying this is what's happened and usually it's brief and and in the in the time say three four minutes of me getting there that situation has changed many many times so therefore my assessment has changed every time i'm adapting every time and this is really no different than a lot of ways you're adapting what you need to do how, how you need to respond and this is just more on a mass scale i'm going to assume because I, I didn't really get a direct answer from you about the morale um, I'm going to just have to assume that your hands are tied a little bit with some of the answers. Um, and I'm also going to assume that the morale uh, for the RCMP is um, being challenged right now and is not what it, it could be. Is there any countermeasures to try to maintain esprit de corps? Yeah, there is. And and you're right, you're right Mark. It is, it is a tough answer because um, it's not good at the end of the day, it's not good. Um, you're human at the end of the day and, and those pressures will weigh on anybody. And, and the chatter is, is, is along the lines of, you can't do anything right, first of all. And the esprit de corps part is, is so important. I see, so I think any 
police agency um, relies on 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 its member-backed sort of association or union to help help that, and and the way to do that is through connection and and positivity and highlighting uh, a lot of the good that's done because I think that gets overlooked quite often. It's easier to 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 showcase something that is is challenging or uh, controversial rather than you know a member helping uh, an animal across the road on a on a busy road type of thing. Um, but the esprit de corps is is critical and. Um, yeah, I do, I do think that the unions and associations play a pivotal role in that and, and, and different support groups as well. I think it's fair to say that the lower the esprit de, score, uh, esprit de corps, uh, the, the lower the morale, the higher the instances of um, post-traumatic stress injuries. I think so too. And, and I think a lot of it is because you're operating from a place of uh, stress. Right? Like you're already operating from, from that place and, and uh, you know, the consequence of error. So, you know, you look at it, you look at something and, and there, there is a, there's a massive consequence to not doing something or, or doing something. And, and uh, that, that weighs on anybody. I don't care who you are. And especially in our profession where the expectation is, is, uh, from the public or media or whomever is, is perfection. And I mean, it's not attainable. It isn't, it isn't. And, and, and the reason is it turns out we're humans first, right? I'd imagine that it must be a little bit of police hesitation. I got some friends that are in policing in the States and uh, they would much rather be on um, <laughs> be hooking up a, uh, a white male than anybody else. If they're going to be putting somebody in bracelets and, uh, and making an arrest and that there's a, he- a hesitancy I'm hearing from a lot of folks. If somebody is other than a white male, they are looking for excuses to not make the arrest. And uh, I'm going to just have to assume, cause I, I doubt you can comment on that, that that would be, an uncomfortable stressor as a police officer when um, you have to make race-based decisions uh, or there's hesitancy because of blowback. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard of that before. And uh, at the end of the day, you, you just, <laughs> you have to follow uh, the authorities that you're provided and, and let those chips fall where they may. And, and to me, it, it doesn't matter what, what someone's background is at the end of the day. And um, if you simply broke a law and, it, and, it's, and, and it's, a, it's the right thing to do to put handcuffs on, then that's what you do. And it's, it's irrelevant um, in a lot of ways what someone's sort of background is. Well, it's supposed to be irrelevant, but I think there's certainly the perception out there that um, uh, people that are other than a white male are targeted um, at an unfair ratio. And I don't know of any statistics that back that up, but that is the perception. And of course, perception is reality and people will, will call that a fact. And that has got to be a significant challenge with policing. It is. And it's something that has to, has, like, has to have an honest look at it too. 
on whether that's a, a factor and and not just not just in arresting in, in intervention in in general because you know we we have a model for intervention in, in you know whether you're looking at the totality you're looking at the the person you're looking at the history you're looking at all of that and you throw in, in another factor which is completely intangible which may be um someone's background or whatever and what you don't need as a police officer is that moment of hesitate hesitation in order to make an effective decision on on what you need to do and you can't be thinking from a place of what does this look like because there has been stories of people that have police officers that have hesitated and either had their life ended or been very seriously injured and and that's because of a hesitation right and that's a, that's a super tough thing because you could probably only guess that that person is just trying to do the right thing and they end up injured or worse so yeah it needs to be looked at a little bit more seriously it's a little unfair to ask of you right now because you're only halfway through the course but have there been any surprises with um uh, this awareness course that you're in the middle of and tell us a little bit about it yeah i um I took it upon myself to uh, just be informed on, on different issues, and one of them was a BLM. And uh, I previously would have um, had an attitude of like, well, why do I need to do that? And I and I had some really um, deep moments, and I'm like, you know, I, I really need to, to look at where it comes from. And just the profound nature of of what um black lives matters has come from it it's it's such an important topic and and by the way i'm not condoning any violence that's not what it is that's not that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying uh that you know someone needs to, con to commit violence or, or hurt people or any of those sorts of things but i think um <laughs> yeah it, there's a history here there, there is a history here and there's a truth here that, that is prevailing. And you, you kind of look at this material and, and uh, you can see a point, you can see a perspective that you never did before. You know what I mean? And that's really, really, I think really important in general, no matter what. And it doesn't mean that I have to fundamentally agree with everything. It just means that I have to look at it and go, I get where you're coming from. Right. And not complete because I'll never completely get it, Mark, but yeah. at least I can have a reference point in, in that. And it's eye opening, to be honest. One of the challenges with people having a real discussion as opposed to a debate, and I just did a little piece on this. I'm not a fan of debates. I don't see the point of them or, or what they will accomplish. If it's a debate, then it's one person trying to prove that they are more right than the other person. And then there's, there's no intellectual capital being exchanged there and nobody's moving their opinion, neither the audience nor the people in the discussion, but a, a true discussion is about discovery. And if you're going to discover something, you got to put your damned ego aside yeah. and be open to, you might be wrong. Even if it's a deeply held belief that you've had for a long time, you might be dead wrong. And or it's something in between. And, and that's really 
the challenge right now because we're so polarized and the coverage depending on of all the news stories that are out there are all designed to sell to to make eyeballs look at the content to uh to encourage clicks and that's rarely the truth outrage is what sells and so we we hear these stories uh on one side or the other we get outraged and we go oh well i've just picked a side because i am what i just heard was really outrageous and that sounds really really wrong the problem is the thing you just heard that you're outraged about is probably only partially true Mm -hmm. and uh having a real conversation and that's why the anti-police um sentiment that's been around for the last two years more more than it ever has um needs to take a breath yeah just take a breath and go hang on now um what's the rest of the story what's the full story um i think most people will agree in policing, George Floyd, that whole thing, uh, not okay. And and the verdict that came down of, of guilt, probably the right one. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, I think that's a consensus thing as well. I think so. I mean, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the court. Um, but from a fairly educated perspective and, and watching the tapes, it's really tough to justify and I think the, the courts probably did the right thing. I think so too. And I think um, with that, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks would look at that situation and just, and just look at it at the individual. What did he do? What's his history and, and all that. And yes, those are factors, but I think from a wider perspective is, is really looking at like why, why the outrage was, was there. And, and it's all, you know, and just looking at that and, and asking those critical questions on, on what that reference point, and that's kind of what, not necessarily just George Floyd, but a lot of other factors is why I wanted to, uh, to do a little bit of a course, do a little bit of, of homework and, and see like, what's that wider perspective? And it's, it's so important work. It really is. And because I'm not like, like you said, I'm always going to be pigeonholed to my singular position, my belief, and I'm impenetrable. I'm not moving from that. Well, what is it? <laughs> How do I help? How do I help anything if, if that's my reference point, right? I'm not perfect at it, but I'm, I think it's a really important thing to, to, to understand that context. The more firmly planted we are, I mean, there's very few things where I think it's okay to be 100% set in stone. It's a very short list. Uh, For me, the top of that list is um, uh, pedophiles, you know, child offenders. Um, I do not foresee any possibility of me moving from my stance that it's really, really bad and... uh, uh, they need to all be scooped up, put away, and not let out. <laughs> um, being the victim uh, uh, of uh, of sex crime uh, also changes your perspective on that. I've been on the wrong side of that, so I've got a dog in that race, or a horse in that race, or however that stupid thing is supposed to go. But um, right now, the last two years, 
has there been a steady decline in mental health? Like, has, has, have you been able to, is, has it been notable over the last two years, um, a change in the mental health of the RCMP in general? I, my honest answer is yeah, I think so. I think that there has been um, a, a change and I think it's, um, it's not for the better. And, and the reason why I would know that I, I know more and more people that are, are reaching out for help or going to the operational stress injury clinics or getting a diagnosis or coming and part of that may be because um, perhaps the language is becoming a little bit more normal or acceptable and in some of the stigmas and barriers are are coming down but I think the the external factors of the things that you mentioned whether it's COVID-19 enforcement or BLM or or just COVID in general just just changing the context and how you operate and the policing is uh by nature a a stressful job anyways you're you're always in a in a in a sympathetic state so you have these other items i think um and the organizational stressors stressors as well i mean like with us in the rcp we've been without a, a pay raise for way too long and you know and that will play a factor i'm not saying money is the only thing but why wouldn't it play a factor of course it would so i think all these sort of chips in play yeah i think that you are seeing um a, a deterioration or erosion of, of mental health in a lot of people well the public sentiment can't be helping you know the uh i've never seen a stronger anti-cop um not, uh, yeah, never in my life have I seen a stronger anti-cop sentiment just in the general, in the general public, and um, and some of the measures that uh, that happen aren't aren't helping that, you know, um, and it's so important for police to be mindful that there's everybody's got a damn camera on their phone, yeah, and uh, to, but e even when something is um, uh, looks like it's a bit offside the way that the media or social media will, will present it is always worse than it actually happened. Even if somebody's in the wrong by like a factor of two, it'll look like a factor of 10 mm -hmm. and, and it will get amplified. Yeah. And I think um, just to, to add to that, I mean, if you think of, okay, if I go to a, a call in, in policing and, um, there are a lot of factors, Mark, like you, you're looking at the, the history of the residents, you're looking at the people you have involved, you're looking at where I'm at personally, you know, am I coming off a, a stressful call? Am I tired? Am I whatever? <clears throat> then you, you arrive and, you know, you're looking, you're assessing, is there weapons? What time of day is it? What kind of weather is it? And you're, you have to consider all these things and, you, and, and you're trained to do so. So <clears throat> you're not necessarily always firing these questions and you're asking yourself, what are my authorities for being here? So what, what, you know, what provincial or, or federal statute is, is, is this context? Uh, what are my interventions? You know, what is the history? So you're asking all these questions and that in itself is, is a stressful thing. Cause sometimes you're going to something where it's, it's decades in the brewing and you're, you're, you're going there and you have 10 minutes to figure it out. Right. So there's no way you're, you're reasonably going to be able to do it. 
And now you, you add the compounding factor, factor of the phones or perhaps the crowd or, or what have you. And that's what I'm saying when it becomes the expectation of excellence. And that is a wickedly hard place to offer, operate from. It like Because you, you're already thinking of all the things I'm going to say. I have to make sure I'm saying the correct things. And, and the reason why you're doing that is because you're like, well, I, my reference point is I'm going to be probably scrutinized no matter what I do or say. And I have to have to safeguard this and try to do my very best and be a, a professional about it. But it, it's, it's, it's a very, very hard place to operate. And those are, there's some massive stressors. I mean, when I first started, we, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have those things. So yeah. it was, it was different. And I, I've kind of evolved with it. And I, I mean, I've been to calls where it's been live Facebook streamed. I mean, that was different, you know? someone's showing you this is, this is literally what's happening and there's all the comments from the community okay and that's a good to know right like, that's a good to know although i i'm not saying that um i would hate that you know it's it's a it's a level of accountability and actually just like the body cams on police well it's um because there's so many stories where there's assumptions and then you look at the body cam footage like oh <laughs> well that yeah. was that's you know and that has saved many a cop's ass uh, the, the body cam footage that uh, shows conclusively that the accusations were not uh, valid so i think that transparency is good for the police force and, and as long as it's done in context and you and you, and you, and you have the full clip right um and that's probably good for officer safety. I'm I'm thinking as well. Oh, 100%. So I think I think overwhelmingly um, the members out there would support that because almost all the time uh, there's nothing to worry about, as you say. And um, it's different if if uh, it's being filmed and put on TikTok or something <laughs> under a different context or maybe it's a reduced clip or something like that where a body cam will show the entire context and i'm in favor of it almost everybody i know i i can't think of a member that i know that isn't in favor of it that type of thing what about the public recording recording their police interaction uh, in the states it depends where, where you are some say it's uh, you can't do that others say uh, you can and it's been a matter of debate but i haven't heard that debate in canada um if somebody gets pulled over and they want to record uh, the interaction on their phone, is there any rules about that or how do police feel about that? Um, I think it's fine. You know, you can go ahead and unless, unless it's inhibiting um, some sort of judicial process. And I know that's a abstract sort of way of putting it, but that's just the truth of it. Um, but if someone wants to record, I mean, everybody in their dog has a phone nowadays. So it, that's just the nature of it and fine it, you know the awareness is on on the member to to recognize that and 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 uh, is this thing inhibiting what i need to do right is it like whatever that conversation is right if someone's shoving it right in your face well what's the point of that <laughs> i don't know but all right 
So how has the stigma of PTSD been within the RCMP? Uh, I'm going to guess that it's changed over the last five years. Like, where was it? Where is it now? Where does it have to be? Um, yeah, you're right. It has changed, but it's still so prevalent, Mark. It just is. It's just that perception or belief of uh, that about something like about getting help or about mental health and I think maybe there's a, a degree of, of shame in that because our sort of profession is a, a we're self-reliant in a lot of ways and I got this I can do this and and the stigma I mean I know quite a few members who have openly said those words where the stigma of mental health or post-traumatic stress disorder is what my barrier was so um it has gotten better uh but the language the language and the culture uh, it's my opinion that it needs to be on on the front burner right this is something that needs to be addressed up front because you're only as good as your faculties you know um and i think we're getting there but i uh it's not good enough it isn't is there still a perception among the ranks that if they step forward, ask for help, that it's a career ender or at least a dent, uh, it'll put a dent in their career? 100%. I just had a conversation with someone the other day, and that was, uh, that was I mean, if you distilled it down, um, that's what it was. I can do all these things. I need, to, I need this. But if I do, this is, this is done for me. And it's, it, it isn't the truth. It isn't. Is there any truth in that? No, no, like, and because I came from a point where uh, I thought, well, here goes X, Y, and Z for opportunities, and it turns out I was dead wrong and 180 degrees wrong, right? And in the experience I've seen in, in other members in recovery from the beginning and working their way through has been the same, right? So it hasn't been the inhibitor, and I think there's strength. In, in the vulnerability, in, in sharing and becoming open about it and talking about it. And I think we lack that in a lot of ways. And How do we get that fear from the ranks? Um, get the, uh, the idea out of their head that if I step forward and ask for help, my career is going to at least have a dent in it. Um, if not, uh, it'll really inhibit my career. What's, what's the solution to that? Uh, normalizing the talk. It's very, very simple. Changing the culture and, and, and talking about mental health as, as plain as day as you would talk about anything else, right? So if I tell you I was out and I had a, a sports injury, I could tell you about that sports injury and you won't think twice of it. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I think the, I think the dialogue needs, or not just the dialogue, but the culture needs to have that acceptance around that this is normal. This is going to happen. Like we're in policing. It's a stressful possession or profession in the first place. Of course, it's going to have an impact on you. I mean, uh, Dr. Nicholas Carlton out of uh, University of Regina, they're doing a longitudinal study on, on the RCMP. And then 50% of RCMP members are going to have some version of uh, mental health, like a post-traumatic stress. So that's one in one in two. So the odds are that, and that's just reported. So there are a lot of people out there that is just simply not reported. But I think the point is, um, when you normalize that and make it a, a, a 
culture of responsibility in, 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 in addressing these things and just putting on the table saying, yeah, like it's, it's going to wear on any human. So, um, yeah, you go from there and that's where it needs to start. I think. Is there anything official in RCMP policies and procedures that says, uh, so that everybody knows that if you come forward, ask help for, um, if you suspect you might have uh, a PTS injury, this will not impede your career. Is there anything that's official that's on paper uh, that, that says that so that people are, uh, members are more likely to come forward? Yeah, I think with the uh, the commissioner, Lucky had come up with a vision 150. And I think there's an openness to that, that basically opens that door and, and, and helps with that. I don't know if it's those exact words, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but yeah, that and it starts with the leadership too, because it's causal, right? And all the attitudes and belief are causal from from who your leaders are and your managers are. So that has to happen. That will cascade because if it, if the memberships membership was driving the bus, we would have had a union a long time ago. Well, with the union, I mean, what comes to mind is if there's a member's bill of rights, and that's and mental health uh, coming forward, and it won't dent your career. Um, like if there was some sort of member's bill of rights, that would go a long way to helping people step forward. It would. And I think, uh, you know, it revolves around, um, things like the Canada labor code and human rights act and all those sorts of things and which are in place, but, uh, are they adhered to? I, I, I would argue that they're, they're not necessarily. And the reason why I would say that not necessarily adhered to is because, the evidence shows otherwise all the class action suits for, for discrimination or gender inequity or, or whatever. So if we were absolute about adhering to these, these uh, acts, then we wouldn't have to do their have to handle that. So I think we're still a little bit off on that. Well, it would take the leadership to make something official and to be saying it all the times, like, look, step forward. It's okay. Put your hand up, ask for help. It's okay. And here it is codified. Here's the member's bill of rights that, um, uh, that we will uphold this, you know, and uh, if for some reason you feel that we haven't, there will be consequences and you'll be compensated. But if there's nothing official like that, of course there's stigma. Yeah. You know, because uh, everybody's just, it, it's one rumor versus another rumor, as opposed to here is the RCMP members' Bill of Rights. I think something like that would be a really important push for the uh, MPF. Oh, yeah. I think, and I, th- I genuinely think that that's, that's what they, the MPF wants to do, right? Um, because otherwise, you're just putting up pockets of fire always. Yeah. And, and you're never truly addressing the overarching issue and i i and it's it's my perspective that you simply put officer safety first and that includes mental health like that that has to be on the front burner it has to be um because the that workplace habits that cascade out of that what is acceptable and what's not begin to erode it won't go away right away but it begins to erode where it's more acceptable to ask for a supervisor for help and not worried about getting that door shut in your face. Cause that's what happened to me when I first asked for help. Can I go see a doctor? No, you can't end of story. Right. So that, that was, that was a long time ago, but that is that at that time, that was an acceptable workplace habit 
So what do you think that did to a member? Me, right? And I'm nothing special. This is something that is right across the board of, of so many members' stories where it becomes almost a backdrop to them like, oh yeah, that happened. And you take a step back and you're like, there's no way that's acceptable. <laughs> there's no way that that's okay. And to me, it's about the leadership changing those habits and changing those those sort of attitudes and beliefs and working from a place of action. Don't tell me what you're going to do. Do it. Right. And I'll follow. Well, I would suggest one of the ways of getting rid of that stigma and by bringing the um, bringing the conversation forward is for every member that listens to this to share the hell out of it on social media. I mean, this be episode 120 or 121 or whatever it's going to be. The more you share it, and you don't have to put a narrative or anything else. It's like, hey, this is helpful. And and share, share, like the sugar bear, you know. Uh, and if I had an official relationship with the MPF, that would be a pretty loud signal that said, hey, look, here's an official resource. Uh, tune in. Have a look. So I'll throw that one out there. Like, the more you're talking about it, that's how you get rid of stigma. There's no other way to get rid of stigma than to talk about it like it ain't no thing. Yeah. You know, it's just no biggie. It's yeah. uh, it, it's okay to talk about it. Because if it's okay to talk about it, then, well, uh, I guess it's okay to step forward and, and, and ask for help. Absolutely. And that's just it. And Because and, I can remember when I, uh, I went to alcohol rehab and I went there as someone that I'm like, oh, I might have a problem. Right. I'm like, whatever. And I didn't really think too much about it. And it wasn't until the day that I sat in the room and I, uh, there was a big circle and, and I started hearing my story and other people and I started connecting yeah. for the first time and then going, Oh, okay. And then all of a sudden things started queuing in my brain and I was engaged. And that really was uh, sort of the nexus into full alcoholism recovery because it was at that point that I was able to connect my behaviors and what I was doing and sort of my reference point and my attitudes with the detriment that it had become. Right. And that's just my story, but it kind of speaks to your point. Well, the more we talk about it, the less the stigma and talking about it the right way too. Um, there's a lot of accidental douchebaggery that, that happens around PTS injuries and, a lot of it well-intended, um, you know, it's just, it is misunderstood so often. When did you first suspect that you might have a PTS injury? Uh, so, of course, at that time, I didn't know that it was a, a post-trauma. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, but I knew that there was a, a growing vacancy in my soul. <laughs> like, mm. it was just kind of thing it was started to lose myself uh why am i not doing the hobbies that i i used to do why do i have sporadic crying why do i have why am i angry at things why why am i tuned out of everything and it was it was kind of looking and going it, it's not what i have had my entire life and there there has been a change and i couldn't put my finger on what what it was you know and, and I never put it all together. That was it. Yeah. So I never put the nightmares and the sleepless nights and the alcohol abuse and the numbness and the isolation and and all these sorts of things. I never put it together that it, it equated to 
a condition, right? I didn't know that, right? Uh, but I knew that I needed to see a doctor. <laughs> I didn't know what kind of doctor. I just knew a doctor because there was something not right. And that was really the, uh, the beginning. Were you hesitant to reach out for that help? In the beginning, yeah, uh, because uh, I definitely come from a, a place of, uh, I got this, um, I can handle this. Um, I've handled incredible stresses in policing, like operational, incidental, like high octane stuff. And I'm like, well, if I can handle that, I can, I could probably handle, you know, dealing with certain things. But uh, yeah, for sure. What do we, what has to change right now? What's the number one thing that has to change right now in the RCMP for people to come forward and, um, and, and ask for help and for that to be a safe place to land? Yeah, that's a big question. Wow. Um, look after your people first. And, uh, <laughs> It's, 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 it's a tough question. It is because I think you have to look after your people first and that doesn't mean it's a police versus, uh, for, versus them. It's just simply looking after your, your people and respecting what, what happens in, in, in day-to-day -day policing. Because like we started this show, it's an exhausting task to, to be a cop nowadays. It is. And Well, I would suggest that that um, officer's bill of rights would go a long way. Something like that. And I, I think um, in the RCMP world, the, the you know the advent and and resurrection or not res the uh, the union itself can play a pivotal role in that in 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 helping people get where they need to be in a safe place because a lot of the stressors I believe in the RCMP are associated with organizational stressors. So it's, there's a de the degree of harassment and bullying and intimidation and, and sexism and racism and all that, and all those factors. Well, where do you turn to as a member to get, to get help? Well, you turn to the organization. Well, the organization is part and parcel, right? Maybe not, <laughs> whatever, but if it, if it plays a role, that's going to be the barriers. So I think the, the union plays an, um, an arm's length sort of uh, resource whose mandate is to just simply look after you, right? And I think that that will help honestly change things. Never mind the esprit de corps thing. That will, I think that will play out as well. But just that door opening for if I want to get help, there are people here with their their uh, their skin in the game is for me, right? It's it, that's what it is, and and the difference is when you go to your employer, there there is a hesitancy, and that's right across the board. I hear it all the time, and um, you know what we talk that about it, that hesitancy earned. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it is. I I think. Um, I, because our, our employer, we have um, like a health services side, but again, it's a, it's organizational, right? 
and it's occupational. So the mandate is different. The mandate isn't, and this isn't to criticize, this is just a, what it is. The mandate is not to diagnose or treat or have therapy. It's are you fit or are you not, right? So it, it, that's, a, that's a very different place than, than what therapy is, where it's opening, welcome, and most of all, safe. Because if the barrier is this is going to be inhibiting my career, huh, then why would I do it? Right? Yeah. Why would I do it? And so that you don't stick a pistol in your mouth. That's why. Yeah, and, and it, honestly, that's the that's the truth of it. I've been I've been there a long time ago, and you feel like you're in a box in a in a three foot world that's dark. And where do I go? What do I do? I don't know what to do next. And you're fighting in the dark at that point. There's a study that just uh, came out. It was very unfortunate and i think there's a lot of cover your assness i don't believe the study for a second that um, veteran suicide isn't higher than the national average horseshit there's no way that's true and um but it's also a reflection on um how the topic is dealt with with officials to to say that uh, the rates of suicide is not higher in the veteran community or in the RCMP community, that just doesn't make any damn sense. I I'm very very skeptical skeptical of those findings, and also it's kind of damaging uh, to to hear that. It's like oh then what's my problem? If I'm on the edge, if I'm suicidal, what 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 am I whining about? Is the internal conversation. And that's dangerous all by itself. Yeah. yeah right. Listening to you, it, uh, the term sanctuary trauma popped into my head. Hmm. Um, are you familiar with what that is? Yeah, I've heard it before. So sanctuary trauma, one of the worst types, is when you finally muster up the courage to ask for help. And it's either not there or you are trivialized or made fun of or rejected in some way. Yep. And uh, do you think that's still happening in the RCMP when people ask for help? Yeah, I, I do. Um, uh, I think perhaps less so, but I do think it's there. Um, yeah, because I went through exactly that. And um, the messaging to yourself is I'm not worth the help. Right? Because yeah. if, if I already feel low, and my self-worth isn't where it used to be. If I hang my hat on on my job and that's part of my identity and my my employer tells me no or or whatever, whatever uh, it is, um, <laughs> that's my confirmation that I'm worthless. Yeah. Right. And that was the messaging to me. And I was like, that's all I needed to go. Okay, you're right. Right. You know what I mean? And, um, which is a really vulnerable spot if you think about it. And the, the onus has to be on, on the employer or the authority or whoever it is to recognize that that is a very vulnerable spot for that person. And that, that topic needs to be met in a, in a more, definitely a more gentle and compassionate way. And this isn't flaky. This isn't flaky. This is something where, if someone is going through something that is hard, you need the hand to reach them in, in, a, in a compassionate way 
um, in order for that person to understand that they're capable of uh, getting their life back. Right. The hardest call most people will ever make in their life is that first call for help. Uh, it was for me, it was a thousand pound telephone and I can't articulate why it was so difficult, but it flipping was, it's, uh, you didn't want to pull back that curtain and have a look, you know, there, there's just something that it's incredibly difficult for many people to ask for help the first time. Uh, I was undiagnosed for well over 20 years because of, I didn't want to ask for help. And also, there's uh, when you have PTSD, your self awareness is quite low. You think you, you think you're self aware, yeah. you're self aware. You know, yeah. you don't know that you're the asshole, yeah. and uh, you have no idea. So when you first reach out, and that's a a big part of this show. It's education for those. Um, it's a little bit of courage for some people because they they hear people. Uh, myself and other guests telling their story. And this is a halfway house to therapy a lot of times or a halfway house to just self-advocacy. And for some people, this show is all they can do. This is their only mental health resource, nothing else. And I get private messages saying so, which is why, again, for everybody that's listening, it's so important to share this because somebody else is going to hear their story in Paul or their story in me or their story with with another guest. They'll identify with it and find just that little bit of extra strength that they need to reach out and ask for help. What has the road for recovery been like for you? Where did it start and where is it now? Uh, Well, that was really well put, Mark. Um, for me in the beginning, it, I associated help uh, with weakness. It mm. was it was the equation of, uh, um, yeah, I'm weak. And um, in the beginning, I, I got to a place of, of surrender. I was out of options. Um, I had two options. I could keep doing what I was doing, and uh, that scared me. Um, because nothing had changed in life or I could do something different and that scared me (laughs) and um, surrendering to the idea that I could get help and what had happened over a period of time is my belief system shifted and to where vulnerability became a core or a, a reference like a, a strength it was equated with strength and me sharing things and being open about things became open and a lot of it was had to do with willingness and i put down my my sword i put down my shield and i just simply said i don't got this i don't know what i'm doing i don't i could figure out a lot of things in this world i've like I said, I'd been to some high octane calls and be and done some very um, complex investigations, and I could do all those things and I could be strong. But this is one of those things where I don't got it. I don't, and and to be teachable. So I went into therapy initially reluctant, but then I started hearing things from other people and from therapists and from other recovery modalities where um, 
it, it was teaching me that um, it's all right to be not okay. And um, that most importantly, the what I learned was there's a way through it. I didn't know what that looked like. I had no idea whether it came to post-trauma or whether it came to alcoholism. I had no idea what the end game would look like, right? No idea. But I wanted to believe what they were telling me that it was possible, <laughs> right? And these are often people that are in recovery themselves. So I look at going, all right, you're telling me this and what other option do I have but to trust that and have faith in that, you know? And and today it's evolved to where I'm I'm all in. It's you know, I'm it's the it's on my front burner life because without my my recovery in, in post trauma and alcoholism, I don't I don't get to be married. I don't get to have a beautiful family. Uh, I don't get to have a, a good job and stable employment. I don't get those things without that. So it's the number one on my list, which is in contrast to where I started. Where I had a whole bunch of reasons why I couldn't. Tell me about the importance of recovering out loud. Oh, vital. It's um, talking about recovery in, in general is therapeutic in its own right for the individual, right? And in connecting, I it's my sort of thought that um, the opposite of trauma is is connection. So recovering out loud, talking about thing, this sort of stuff and, and making it an open conversation is, is connecting with myself, it's connecting with you, with others, it's connecting with nature. And I don't care if that sounds flaky. These are all really critical things because if you're in the depths Science, of it, actually. Yeah. If you're in the depths of it, uh, your three foot world is 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 dark and you're on you're disconnected from from everything. And so the more you could be open and out loud about those sorts of things, and I'm not saying if someone's earlier in their recovery, this is what you need to do. Your job is just simply to, to, to give yourself a chance to heal, mm -hmm. you know, give yourself, give, cut yourself a break and, and, and connect, you know, if you're hearing me, if you're hearing Mark or you're hearing whomever, um, connect to that idea, connect to that story. And, and that's how the healing happened. Cause that's how it happened for me. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not wise or whatever. <laughs> it's just, that's what I learned along the way it, 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 from people who had been there and done that and, and made a choice to talk about it. How did it feel the first time you were on my show, once we were done and you walked away, what did that do for you? Um, sharing your story on a platform like this? I think nervous. I was nervous beforehand, but the way I, I look at it now is um, I could be open and I could be vulnerable and I could I could share and I don't have shame around that. I don't. It's it's not important to what if someone will judge that. With you know, I found it empowering to be able to do that and and. Uh, you know, I remember thinking after um, thanking you and thanking the show in my head because um, it helps me too. It helps me in, in just 
grow into a, hopefully a better person. Has anybody uh, privately told you thank you for yeah. for doing that show? Yeah, a lot actually, a lot. Or, you know, whether it was the day of or, or um, in the in the weeks or months after, it was it was definitely the case, and uh, which was nice. And and for a guy like me who has always struggled with self worth. <laughs> Uh, you could tell me all the bad things in the world. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll fix that. Or you, you may be right, but you can tell me something positive. Like, hey, you did well in that show. And I'm like, I don't know. Hmm. So my job was to absorb that and go, okay, <laughs> thanks. And just shut up. Yeah. The power, the show that we did before, and I hope it's uh, duplicated, it was one of my top two shows. Uh, out of 120 and that is telling me that there's a lot of people in the rcmp community that are looking for help that are looking for some sort of message that takes the stigma away by having the courage to and it's still i mean i got 120 episodes you know it's my show it's still tough to put up my hand and go yeah yeah i'm injured and it messed me up and it still messes me up and it's a it's a challenge and it's not easy it's not easy to talk about those things it's not easy to talk about suicidal ideations um mm -hmm. but man when they hit they hit hard and they are overwhelming um i get it i know what shame feels like but by me sharing that and it's never easy to share even with all the practice i've had but it, it gives others courage and strength because they're able to piggyback off of your courage and strength and your voice really does matter paul even if you don't like to hear it your point you know your, your voice does matter and you coming on this show twice now helps others it helps other members take away the stigma this is the only way that you can take away the stigma kick down the door and that's why I'm the idea of a member's bill of rights that I will say again, you know, the whole point of it is to take away the stigma, yeah. you know, because if it's official, if it's codified and not on page nine of the website, but right up in front, yeah. you know, that's how you get rid of the stigma. Sharing this episode is how you get rid of the stigma. Yeah. And uh, I try to make it easy by having um, the Operation Tango Romeo logo uh doesn't say trauma on it you know that's what tango stands for um it should be easy just a little bit easier to to uh to to share but it's happening and the show is growing because of people like you that have the the guts to come forward and to share with others and I, thank you um and i think part of the messaging is you you can be a really good, you could be a really hard-nosed, you could be a really effective police officer in what you do, and you could still care about yourself. Mm. You could still get help. You could be both of those things. Why can't you? Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be defined one day, one way, just as much as you don't have to be defined by being a police officer you don't have to be defined by your injury as well you know you can you can be all those things and it's okay 
right? Um, because I think part of the narrative is 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 uh, I I lose my effectiveness or I lose that I go to my job or something like that. And well, people people are stuck with being a badass, and mm-hmm. I mean I've been shot at. I have walked in uh, heavily mined areas. Um, I've been in a war zone and I've been in uh, a few too many bar fights uh, with people twice my size. None of that made me half the badass of picking up that damn phone the first time. 100%. That's the most badass thing I've ever done in my life was picking up that phone and asking for help. That's the toughest, toughest thing ever. And all the battles, eh? isn't, isn't that something? And all the battles, and that was it, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, you kind of you manifest these barriers too, and just kick them, kick them down, right? You can, we can play a role in, in in that. That that's a really good way of putting it. Well, how prevalent do you think PTSD is within the RCMP? Um, and can you well, can you spot it in others now? Oh yeah, I can. And it manifests in in different ways, and it and it could be an anxiety thing, it could be a de- major depressive thing, and I only know what those look like because I had them, right, and mm-hmm. or have them. And it's definitely uh, prevalent in the in having talking to people where if you know that someone may possibly have that because i'm not a doctor and um it's having that conversation of what that looks like right and you can only talk from your own experience strength and hope on it but i think it is prevalent i think it's the nature of what we do right you're not going in policing you're not going because it's a good day you're going to something because oftentimes it's someone's bad day or maybe the worst day of their life you don't know but there is a there is an erosion over time so there's going to be a prevalence of that trauma in your life right and that operating speed becomes a new normal and you protect yourself and you live with it undiagnosed are the rcmp doing critical incident stress debriefings or are they getting on stuff early yeah i think that's part of what they have what yeah, it's definitely in our policy. Um, and, but in practice, I mean, for me, I only went to one ever. Oh, I, to, uh, I can't count how many um, very impactful traumas. So I think there has to be a better job. And that's kind of what I was saying before about it has to be the priority. Well, just get it in there. And even if the person says right away, I don't need it, I don't need it. Fine, but you know where it is now. And and perhaps if your colleagues did uh, take that invitation and they are talking about it, maybe something sounds familiar, right? Like, so at least that conversation started. The earlier you get on it, the less impact it has. And it's been shown again and again. The longer you let it um, sit there, it 
metastasizes. It turns into something ugly. And when, especially, I mean, I was well over 20 years undiagnosed. Um, those wounds get worse, not better. Time does not heal all wounds. That is BS. It makes them worse. It makes them fester. So the sooner that you can get on it, the better. So even if you think you're okay, you don't know that because the, the symptoms uh, uh, don't tend to kick in until way down the road. That's right. That's right. But at least if the door is open on where you can go or, or something, I mean, it's no different than if I took St. John's first aid, you know, if they tell me, I remember being in a class where they say, you know, uh, the early intervention of CPR will save someone's life. Well, how is this different? It's not different. The well, sooner you do that, the the sooner you can resuscitate or uh, or have uh, someone come back to life. It's really no different. Policing in by its nature is, is reactive. So you always show up after the bad guys. Uh, pretty rare that you show up before or during. It's usually after to sweep up the mess and take a report. And And maybe that is part of the problem with uh the mentality of police that they're not taking preventative measures for um mental health because that's what it is uh after a, a critical incident if you think you are fine that is maybe you are but doing a checkup from the neck up uh, talking to somebody doing a, a, a critical incident stress debriefing is a preventative measure <laughs> by doing it and decompressing right off the bat uh, even if you think you're fine, that's the only way to stay fine. Absolutely. And yeah. remove the fear of um, that I might have something come back on me, right? Yeah. Like this may be uh, whatever. If you can, if that can be removed, then, then you have a more uh, open. It shouldn't even be a choice. Uh, it's... Uh, damn shame that it's not um that there's not some sort of scale to say hey this is a critical incident and when this happens uh we we put you through this um uh stress debriefing period i don't care if you want to or not if you think you need it or not mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that the um, leadership of the rcmp hasn't done that is pretty damned unfortunate because it's a preventative measure that will really really reduce downstream effects and it, it's only um, going to become more exacerbated. So the nature of policing isn't all of a sudden going to become more healthy, right? It's it's quite likely to continue on a trend where it is, which is um, harder on, on the membership than it needs to be. So yeah, those preventative measures um, need to be the 100% front burner. It needs to be the priority period. Like you look after your own, first in that category and then they can look after the public's needs well look at the effects when you don't when you don't get it on early when there is a officer incident where the officer did did a Mm no-no that no-no was because of almost every time it's going to be because they are suffering from ptsd and maybe didn't know it so that affects your judgment that affects your ability to um, maintain your emotions and keep them level. Uh, like if you're having anger outbursts, it's like ding, 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 ding. Geez, only we would have got on that earlier. There wouldn't have been an anger outburst. Oh, you just beat the hell out of a prisoner. That's unfortunate. Uh, gee, 
if only there was a way to prevent that. So these, um, and those incidents don't happen a lot, but when they do happen, they are damaging as heck. So why, why not? Let's just prevent it. Everybody wins. The force wins as a whole because, and it helps to maintain the reputation uh, with these preventative measures and the officer as an individual is, is helped because they don't have to suffer as much. And for those that um, don't understand the injury, it is unpleasant. It is suffering. And um, if you've ever, if you've never been obsessed with suicidal thoughts, count yourself lucky because it sucks. It's not a good time. It's not something somebody wants. No, it's insidious. It's continuous and it's insidious. So what does recovery look like for you? Uh, so, um, beautiful these days in a lot of ways. Um, when I first entered recovery, I told the therapist I just wanted my life back. I didn't care about the job. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted my life back. And uh, if I would have uh, made a plan on what it would have looked like, I would have sold myself short. And I'm not saying it's all unicorns and rainbows. It's not because I think it's it's always going to be uh, something that I need to maintain. But recovery is, for me, it's about healthy positive healthy habits um and a willingness to change always and that my reference point has to be that i don't i don't got it always <laughs> i don't i can get a lot of things in this world but this is one where um sometimes when i take my car to the mechanic they know better right yeah. and and it's it's as simple as as that um today it's um a more of a sense of wholeness, uh, a peace. I, I can stand on my feet with with some dignity and, and some integrity. And you know what? I actually give a damn about myself where if I was in the depths of post-trauma or, or alcoholism, um, I would characterize that person as someone who didn't care and was reckless in a lot of ways. Today, I don't have that. I know I've been able to get married in recovery. I was able to have my son in recovery. And like, I don't the best job in the world is being a dad. It's, yeah, it's, it's just the best job in the world. And I, and I think about it all the time that I, I get to do these things. Um, and it's cool. But I'm, it's always a work in progress. It's never quite done. And that doesn't mean that there is... Uh, always bliss or always struggling. It's it's operating um, in a much more balanced spot. There are pockets. There are pockets where I know I need help, and I don't think twice. I just I make the call because I know, I know, I know the end game. If I don't, I know how that plays out. I've I've I've, I've played that tape through. I've seen it. I've seen the movie, and it sucks. You're lucky that you started reaching out for help before you had kids. I did it the other way around. And if there's any reason for somebody to reach out, it's so that you're not such a dick to your kids. Um, and it was actually an incident where I'm hollering in the face of my five-year-old 
because uh, his plate tipped and there's and crumbs hit the floor and I'm bellowing at him on my knees pointing my finger and uh, and I watched him break I watched his face melt right in front of me and 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 there was something about that moment where I finally went oh and I couldn't stop even as I'm stop watching it happen it's like I had an out-of-body experience and I couldn't stop until my wife put her hand on my shoulder I said mark they're just crumbs that's the day i i first reached out for help so if somebody the three worst words in policing or military or any of the uniform services is i got this because no you fucking don't and it's okay to reach out for help once in a while it's okay if you don't have this it's okay to ask for help and there's strength in that help. There is. There is. And if you won't do it for yourself, do it for your kids. And eventually you'll do it for yourself. You know, I was doing a really good job of not dropping any F-bombs and one snuck right out there. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't have the editing software to bleep it, so to heck. <laughs> Raw moment. It's a real moment, Mark. It's a real moment. Yeah. I think yeah. we'll put a pin in it there, Paul. I think thank you thank you for doing this again Paul and uh, I hope we we do it again and I really really hope that um, all the members that are listening to this share because if you can't recover out loud yourself you're just not there yet that's perfectly fine sharing this is another way of saying hey it's okay to not be okay and here's a resource Thank you for sharing your story, Paul. No, thank you. And uh, even if I just wanted to add, even if it's the families, mm. they may be the first to see, right? Maybe the first to see. That's really important. So um, thanks, Mark. Thanks, brother. Thanks for being here today. Yeah. Please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow and if there's an option there for rating please do so and this is why every time you click like leave a rating leave a comment what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast the help that you can't find doesn't help at all so help other people find this so that they can help themselves thank you thank you thank you and as always share share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring